0: Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm Jen.
1: And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter
2: at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them.
1: And welcome to Unabridged. This is our April 2022 book club. We are so excited today to discuss Angie Thomas's Concrete Rose. And before we get started, I just wanted to mention that we have a monthly newsletter. We It comes out a couple of times a month. We let you know what's going on for the month with our newsletter. And then we also have a mid-month favorite newsletter, which is a bit of a dip into our personalities and the things that we love and things that we want to share with you on a personal level. So be sure to sign up for that. You can do that at our website at underbridgepod.com. It's right up at the top and you can just sign up. So before we get into our book club, which I am very excited to discuss Mm -hmm. with you all, we wanted to share our bookish check-in. Sarah, what are you reading? I
0: am on the last quarter of Kwame Unwachi's Notes from a Young Black Chef. Kwame Unwachi is a prior contestant on Top Chef Season 13, and I really liked him On season 13, and I found that he had written a memoir, which also has recipes in it. So I went ahead and went for it. And it is an excellent book. I really have enjoyed hearing about his life and also how grueling the restaurant industry is. It is very direct in what he has faced in the restaurant industry one being very young and also being black. And I just, it has been fascinating. I really love the parts that he talked about, his influence from his mother, who was a chef and caterer, and just how he did everything he could to get to the Culinary Institute of America, and not always knowing where money was coming from, but he just pushed through. And then I also have really loved all the kind of behind the scenes and really Posh fine dining kitchens in New York and DC. It, it's just very, very eye opening. And it's, I just really like it. And you know me, I love a food book and I am really enjoying this memoir. And I am going to continue on my food book journey and read something in this realm after. So, <laughs> well because I'm just really enjoying reading all, like I've been switching between fiction and nonfiction. And I just, I'm finding that that is a good way for me to like, it's like a comfort to me, but it's not just like romance where some things are sometimes can be predictable or Mm -hmm. things end up. There's a lot of closure. These books are kind of comfort reads for me, but there's a lot of, there's a, a huge spectrum of what the way that the books end. And like when you switch between nonfiction and fiction, and I think there's always a place for romance. I don't, I'm not trying to disparage that genre, but I do think like if I read a bunch of romance, sometimes I get a little bit, Fatigues. So I like that this, I can read about food and what's happening in kitchens, but there's just a wide variety. So that all that to say <laughs> that this
1: is Kwame Unwachi's Notes from a Young Black Chef. Oh my gosh, Sarah, that sounds awesome. And I love that perspective. I think that mm-hmm. I have struggled with that too recently, that I love romance, but sometimes I find... If I read them over and over again, it takes the joy away yeah. mm-hmm. from the experience. And so maybe I will try some of these because I'm certainly <laughs> looking for some comfort reads, but ones that are a bit different from the ones I've gravitated before, you know, gravitated to before. So that's really cool. That sounds yeah. awesome. What an interesting, <laughs> interesting book. Yeah. What about you, Jen? What are you reading? So I
2: am reading Octavia Butler's Kindred. And this is a book. I don't know how I haven't read this before because it has been on my list for years. I have had multiple students who have read it and loved it. And so finally, I got it, I think last year, through Audiobook Sync. And I just decided to listen. And oh, my goodness, it is amazing. So this is set, well, it begins in 1976. And the main character, Dana, is sitting in her new home with her husband, Kevin, and suddenly starts to feel very strange. And time travels to antebellum Maryland where there is a little boy. He's like four years old. A little white boy is drowning in a lake and his mother is freaking out. And so she just reacts and she goes and she saves him. And it turns out that his name is Rufus and he is the son of a plantation owner. And So, Dana is there for a couple of hours, and she's there long enough to be berated by Rufus's mother and to meet his father. And then suddenly she's transported back to her life with her husband, who I should say is a white man, which does play into the story later. So, because Dana is black, obviously the fact that she has been transported back to a plantation has a lot of implications. So, she was in antebellum the antebellum period for a few hours. When she gets back to her home, she's only been gone for a few seconds. And so her husband, Kevin is confused because she disappeared, but doesn't, when she starts telling him what happened, he is skeptical. He feels like there must be some other explanation and they're sitting there talking about it. And she goes back again. And this time she is there for several days And Rufus is now much older. So years have passed in the time period to which she's traveling. He remembers her though. And what she starts figuring out is that when he is hurt in some way or in danger in some way, he is in some way calling her back. I'm afraid to go much further because I feel like even that may have been too much of a spoiler, but she is dealing with being a modern person who is in an interracial marriage and who suddenly is thrust back into the depths of slavery and the plantation system. And yeah, it's just really complicated. She sees this young boy who is being raised in this system, but she has some sway over him because she keeps saving him. And so She's really trying to help him get a different perspective on who she is and on the people around them. There are a lot of complications as the book unfolds. It is just brilliant. It is. I I have not wanted to stop listening, which has been a problem because I have a lot of work right now. And I just want to not do any of it and just read this book because I, I have about 20% left in the audio book. And I am very anxious to know how it all wraps up. But it is Anyway, that is Octavia Butler's Kindred, which I just think everyone should read right now. <laughs> just that drop whatever you're doing and read it.
0: <laughs> that has been on my list for so long. And I have to say, just because of how re- well read you are, I'm shocked that you hadn't read it before because I've seen it every, you know, I've just seen it on so many lists. But I've been, I've had that on my TBR for quite some time. So uh, now you have definitely made me want to read it. So I might have to. Switch paths from the food books and then get back to them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I really want to too. And same that I have had it on my list forever. It's sitting on my Kindle and I just haven't gotten to it, but it sounds amazing. And I didn't know anything about it except that it was amazing. So I am really intrigued by that premise of the time travel and some of that's really fascinating.
2: Well, and I think some of it is, you know, Octavia Butler's work now is considered to be, I, w- I would say they're classics. And so I think there is that hurdle of, oh, it's a classic, but let me just tell you, the writing is very compelling and It it does not drag at all, ever. It is just nonstop. It is like the best sci-fi fantasy I've read. So I will definitely be diving into more of her work. This is my first by Octavia Butler, period, which, again, I know is shocking. But, yeah, I think it's just been a little bit of a hurdle. But now that I know how readable it is, I will be diving into more very soon. So, Ashley, what are you reading?
1: So, One of the things that I'm reading, I'm reading this one really slowly, but I'm enjoying it, is Thich Nhat Hanh's Peace is Every Step. So this is very much written in very short chapters, and it is somewhat as if it's kind of like your each little section is like you can read it and kind of meditate on it. So each part is really short, but then has a pretty deep reflection. But basically, as the title suggests, it is focused on the idea that We find peace in the journey and that it's not about waiting until the end of something in order to find some peace. And so, of course, as listeners know, I am navigating my way through a very early breast cancer diagnosis and all of that stuff. And so my I signed up for BetterHelp. I talked about this on social media. A little bit, but I signed up for BetterHelp, which is one way of plugging in with a therapist really quickly. And that has been really great for me. And so my therapist recommended this and it was just, I mean, it's just great. So I wanted to read just the tiny little clip that kind of the whole book is based on. And so he wrote this and it says, peace is every step. The shining red sun is my heart. Each flower smiles with me. How green, how fresh all that grows, how cool the wind blows. Peace is every step. It turns the endless path to joy. And I think what I love about it, and it's funny at the beginning, there's some humor in it, which I really love. And in the beginning, he says, like, dear reader, do not wait until the end of this book to find peace. You know, yeah. it's this, kind of this like idea of like, that again, it's about... Wherever you are, there's like ways to be in that moment and be okay with that moment. Um, there was a section that said something about like sometimes we smile because of the joy that we feel, and sometimes the smile brings us joy. And so it's that idea of like sometimes we need to just pause and smile, even though we don't feel like it, because that alone can spark joy. And so I just really appreciate the thought behind this and kind of the premise of it. And I had read Thich Han's work, but it's been a long time. So I read another book, but I was probably like in college. And it was nice to revisit because like I said, it's the kind of thing that I don't know that I would have found on my own. And, you know, this kind of thing sometimes can feel a little saccharine, but I don't feel that way with this one. I think it's more focused on, again, that idea that like you can't like for me, I mean, I have these like hurdles I have to get through. But if I'm like constantly like waiting to get through them, then that's not as effective of an approach as finding a way to be in the moment instead of like, wait, wait, waiting. So anyway, I've i, I have really appreciated it and enjoyed it. And I've been doing it very slowly, but it is nice. And I think, you know, what she had recommended is just read one section a day. And again, they're very short. And so that's that's really doable. I would say that I am not achieving that goal, simple as it sounds. <laughs> but, but I do think that, you know, just a little bit at a time and just helping to kind of think about, how to be in a difficult time has been really helpful. So again, that's Thich Nhat Hanh's Peace is Every Step. And I really recommend it. I think it's great. I think it's a great book. I think it's also a great choice for all of us book lovers who want to have a way to support someone who's having a hard time. I think this is a really nice gift book that is accessible. And that's a way to kind of say, you know, I'm thinking of you, and I definitely will be sending this one to people in the future as something that I I found comforting, you know, in a challenging time. So. Oh,
2: wow. That sounds wonderful.
1: Yes. It's really good and not overwhelming. You know, I really like that just like little bits and even the title. Like, I think just thinking about that has been helpful to me and just remembering that like, you know, you, you find the piece in the journey, I think is a really helpful perspective. So Mm -hmm. I, yeah. yeah, I, that reading slowly, I think, you know, I'm a fast
2: reader. And so a lot of times I'm just like plunging through books because I get swept away but I've been doing this Austin awesome Buddy read that is forcing me to read just a section weekly over two months. And it's I read very differently when I read yeah. slowly. So I think that, too. I also have to say, when you said that it's a goal and you're not meeting it, I had this flashback to my dad, who was a, a fisherman. And he used to say, you know, we'd go out all day and not catch anything. And he would say that's why it's called fishing, not catching. And I was just like, that's why it's a goal. It's it's like something you're working toward and it's okay if you're not doing it every day. So yeah. Yes. Anyway.
1: Yes. I really like that. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good perspective there.
2: Yeah. My dad had was big on those little <laughs> those little catchy bits of wisdom.
1: That also reminded me, Jen has shared this story before, but somebody that she worked with early on, when she would tell you, Jen, that you can't waste your life waiting for the weekend. Yeah. And I think it's that exact same idea of just like, you know, you can't waste all the time that is not as easy as you want it to be because the next thing you know, you're just like waiting for this kind of elusive thing that's never going to come. And so like, there's a lot of that in this book of just like- be okay with the feelings that you have and the moment that you're having and all of that instead of waiting for this thing to come to pass. Right. And so, yeah, I just really like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we want to dive into Concrete Rose. It is no surprise to listeners that we all absolutely love angie thomas's the hate you give and so this has been a long awaited discussion i would say mm-hmm. and so i'm really glad that we're coming around to this one so here's a quick synopsis and then we're going to dive in this story a prequel to the hate you give centers on maverick carter a 17 year old in garden heights facing a world of hurdles on his way to adulthood this is a story of the young love between maverick and lisa which begins to crumble as maverick discovers that he's a father with a desperate need to make money, Maverick finds himself diving deeper and deeper into dealing drugs, which Lisa abhors. Maverick continues to try to patch things up with Lisa, but tensions rise and his difficulties worsen. With the help of his mom and neighbor mentors, Maverick contemplates whether his decisions today can help shape his future. And I will mention that not only will this have spoilers for Concrete Rose as we discuss, but if you have not read The Hate You Give it's inevitable that as a prequel, there are some things that are significant in the lives of the people in The Hate You Give. So we just wanted to mention that up front. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't still enjoy reading it after listening or reading Concrete Rose. I think you definitely can read them Concrete Rose first and then The Hate You Give, but we did just want to mention that in the beginning. So let's talk overall impressions first. Jen, what was your overall impression? I loved it.
2: <laughs> no <Nice> shock <laughs> there. So I read this one right after it came out in print. And then I debated for a long time about format for the second time. And Ashley and Sarah both shared how much they love the audiobook. So I picked that up. And oh my goodness, I will just say the audiobook is excellent. So. If you didn't listen, I would highly recommend that. But yeah, I just loved it. I mean, Maverick is one of my favorite characters in The Hate You Give. I love his portrayal in the movie by Russell Hornsby. And so when I heard that the prequel was coming out, I was so excited because I just felt like this is a character for whom there's so much depth. And it just really lived up to my expectations. I thought it was a realistic portrayal of this particular life of a teenager. And I know we'll get more into it later, but yeah, I just thought we see everything that Maverick is going through. We see him mess up a lot, and yet he is still such an empathetic character. Angie Thomas's portrayal of him, you you just see the things that he's struggling to do, that he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to make good decisions, and sometimes he's a teenager and he messes up, but he's so good at dealing with the consequences of his decisions and of understanding that there are consequences for decisions. So yeah, I just, I will stop rambling because I just, but I just loved it. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yes. To all of that. What about about you, Sarah? Overall impression? Oh, I adored it.
0: So when I, after I read the hate you give, and then we found out that concrete rose was coming out, I pre-ordered it and it came it came and then I guess you know we just had other reading obligations. So I had not read it. And so when we decided to do this for book club, I was so excited because it was <laughs> it was like my assignment, you know. And I also read it when well listened to it on um audio, and Dion Graham is the narrator, and he is awesome, he is just fabulous. So I just loved it so much, like Jen. Big Mav was one of my favorite characters from the hate you give. And I was just thought his backstory in that book was so compelling. And I just loved getting to see that, that backstory in like full bloom. And I just thought it was wonderful. I thought that just like, And that you give Thomas just really creates these characters that are flawed, but are so compelling and you're just rooting for them and you want them to make the right choices. They don't always make the right choice, but you're, but you are always there for them and always rooting for them. And I just think that, I I mean, I think she's masterful in that and I love, love, love this book. So (laughs) that's my overall impression.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Ashley, how about you? I mean, I'm having trouble not saying exactly what you all are. <laughs> I mean, I just loved everything about it. I think Angie Thomas is brilliant and her work is so compelling. Her characters are so deep and yet it's so readable. And I just love that. I love that for myself as a reader. But I also love that in Young Adult Lit because I think she does such a great job of inviting the reader to the journey and making it where the reader's experience is such a great one. And yet she also digs into these really complex societal issues and how they play out on an individual level. So absolutely, we see that with Maverick. I mean, we see these really complex social systems, the impact of racism, the impact of white supremacy. We see all of that happening and how that plays out for him as an individual. And yet we also see that he does have choices and that those choices have profound effects. And so I think we both see the constraints that are placed upon him and also the individual choice and why the, both of those things are significant. I mean, I just think it's brilliant. Yeah, mm-hmm. i loved everything about it. <laughs> Let's talk about something specific that works for each of us. So I'm sure listeners, you can tell that we could all gush about this all day. We are try <laughs> to pick, pick some things that we can dive into a little bit. Sarah, what's something specific that worked for you? So this is so hard to
0: narrow down. I, I, As we were talking, I was like running through everything in my mind, trying to figure out what I was going to say, because I just loved so much of this. I think for me, gosh, it's so hard. I think for me, what worked w- was one of the things that worked so well for me is the way that Mav developed into this amazing father for seven. Mm -hmm. I thought some of the moments some of the moments were just so hilarious. And so you could I mean it just really felt like a 17 year old was trying to having to navigate having this baby, this three month old baby that and trying to figure out how it works, you know? I mean, like some of it took me back to being a young, being a young mother and with my first baby. And it's like, you have this baby and there's no, there's no manual. You just have to figure it out. And then to be 17 and also getting the baby after the baby after seven had been with his mom for, and just kind of being left with him. It was really sweet watching that, watching him come into his own as a father. And I just love that. And I loved those tender moments when he's like, I got you to seven. And, but also the really funny moments when he's <laughs> with the first day of school, when he when seven has an explosion. And if you have children, you know oh my gosh, how that is. But, but but Mav is just like, it's on my shirt and my shoes and all over. And it's just so funny. And he is so upset that he has to wear like wrinkled clothes to school (laughs) and his old shoes. I just thought all that, it was like a great balance between Mav coming into fatherhood and becoming more responsible and more mature and also still being a 17 year old kid who just wants to wear his first day of school outfit (laughs) Uh to school. So I Uh just really, really loved that whole development and how that progressed over the course of the book.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. One of the scenes that stuck out to me was when he could not get seven to stop crying. And I'll just say, I had a baby with colic and he just walks out of the house onto the front porch. And that was the right thing to do because he would, he felt himself getting frustrated and he just needed to walk away And then, you know, his mom talks him through it. And then, but then you see how upset he is with himself and just his intention to be a good father, I think is so beautiful through the whole book. And we see that play out then in the hate you give, we see how this early intention is something that again, he is a human, he makes mistakes, but in the hate you give, we see that he is a good father. And then he has these tough conversations with his kids. And you see that starting here with him making tough decisions that are the right thing that he, yeah, he just needed to step away from it. Anyway, I just thought that that scene in particular, because again, there were a lot of days where it was really frustrating because we could not get my older son to stop crying. And sometimes you just need a minute to gather, gather yourself. So yeah, I just thought I was like, I don't know how, because Angie Thomas does not have kids. I do not know how she captured that moment so perfectly, but wow. Wow.
1: Yeah. And even his ability to have the empathy for Aisha, mm-hmm. I think was really remarkable and how he, again, I mean, it's hard for adults to understand postpartum depression yeah, with any real degree of empathy. And yet he's able to do that. And just that mm-hmm. tiny moment for him, like opens this doorway of understanding. And I think that's consistent with his character. And that's what we see yeah. as him. For him as an adult as well is that he does have that level of compassion for other people that he can extend. It to somebody who dumped her baby on him yeah. the moment. And he still finds her frustrating but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. right. So he can be angry at the situation but can also feel some compassion for her. And there are a lot of times that we see that he feels this deep compassion for her even though he's frustrated by not only the choices she makes but the way that impacts him. Right. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I loved all that. And yeah, mm-hmm. both those scenes were really vivid to me as well. But the poop ones <laughs> oh, <no. It's> so- <laughs> I just thought it was like, yes, it's all all of that, it's, it's that you can both want to be, the one thing seems so trivial in relationship to the other thing, like how you look in that moment at the first day. And yet it is as a parent, all those layers together. It's so overwhelming. It's yeah. exactly that, that those trivial things really matter along with this stuff that you have to deal with. That's a lot worse. So, and more substantial. <laughs> Jen, what is something else that worked for you?
2: Oh my gosh, I have so many possibilities running through my head right now. So I will say, I love the portrayal of his family, both his biological family and this family, the the sort of found family that he has in his neighborhood. And I think we see the difficulties that they go through. His mom does not have an easy time, the way she reacts when she finds out that Maverick is a father and then that he's going to be a father again, she's so patient and yet she is also very upset with him and the decisions that he has made that have led him to this place. And she is such a great mom in both supporting him and saying you, it's your responsibility. And I think his dad you know, is in prison. And so he can't be there for him the way he wants to be. And yet we see Maverick several times in the book, go and have these conversations with his father that are pivotal to him understanding who he is. We see Dre. I mean, I just think there are so many people, the Wyatt's who hold him up and hold him to account. I love the, his interaction with the guidance counselor at his school. I just think the support network that he finds of amazing people who, again, it's not that they're all perfect. Sometimes I give him a hard time when he needs compassion, but overall, when he needs help, he can find it. And I loved so many of the conversations he had with those role models in his life when he's talking to Dre about what it's like to be a dad. And when he's talking to his own father about the decisions he made and whether he should make, yeah, I mean, just, I could, I could list so many But I think that's just a real anchor through the book that I absolutely loved. Absolutely. Ashley, how about you? What's one thing that worked for you?
1: I mean, same as what you all said. That's hard to narrow it down, but I'm going to go with something that happens later just because I want to touch on something that's a little bit further on. I think that one of the things I found most impactful is the struggle that he has to decide what to do about Red. And so after Dre... Is killed, and he sees Red with the watch on and comes to realize that likely what they had thought was gang violence actually was not at all that. And I thought that portrayal of his conflicted feelings about honor and responsibility and what is right were just so well explored. And I think what I found most powerful is how when it came the moment for him to kill him and to, you know, in in the code of honor to make things right. And he decided not to how he had to live through that moment and yet how he went to Lisa. I mean, I loved that that he went to her in that moment and that she, of course, as someone who wants him in her life and in the life of his child, was grateful and also was like you that is you are the bigger man to have walked mm-hmm. away. And I think that all was just so richly done because I feel like it's exactly that conflicting tension that he feels like he has to do this thing to protect his family, but if he does that thing, he actually is going to wind up likely in a situation where he can no longer care for the people he loves because he will be imprisoned. And that feels unfair. It feels like that is not right in the sense that this horrible thing happened to Dre. Nobody is going to do anything about it. Nobody's going to pursue what happened. No one cares to find the killer. And so there is... Certainly, an understand, like we as the reader can understand why he wants to bring about justice because nobody else is going to make justice for this horrible atrocity of a father who's taken away from his child and his loved ones. And yet, he also can see in that moment and how terrified Red is that it's just a person, that it's another father, that it's another person who has loved ones who will miss him. I just thought all that was just so, so, so well done
2: it's so powerful.
1: Oh my goodness. That, yeah, that scene and that
2: scene on audio. I, yeah, I thought was so amazing. Yeah.
1: So we could gush about this for a long time, but Mm. we're going to go ahead and share a quote that we'd like to discuss. Jen, what's a quote you'd like to share? So I will say I had a
2: difficult time finding quotations because I had not read this since the beginning, since it was first published and I listened on audio and it's dialogue heavy. Not that that's bad, but i so much of what happens is in the dialogue, which I think makes it powerful. So I will just say this, this quotation is near the end of the book. And Matt was talking to Mr. Wyatt about these things, these plans he has made for himself in the future. And Mr. Wyatt has given him this kind of trial run for taking on extra responsibility And Mav does a great job. And Mr. Wyatt says, I'll admit you surprised me. If I'm honest, I'm surprised you've lasted this long at the job. I thought you would have had your third strike by now. Mav says, I can't lie. I expected to get it too. But maybe it's time I start surprising myself. And I think that is just the culmination of this journey he's taken through the book that, you know, at the beginning, he had these high expectations for his future and for what he was going to do. And then he has been reining those in as thing after thing has happened, choice after choice has happened that make him feel like his choices are becoming more limited and that maybe he doesn't have the control over his life and over his future that he thought he did. And then this is that moment where he's worked himself back to having a choice, maybe not the array of choices that he felt like he had at the beginning, but that he still has a choice about how to live his life and about what his path will be and about his potential to be a good person and a good man and a good father. And so I, it's a very small, like I said, it's dialogue. It's not a big speech, but then he just has this internal moment of, yeah, like I, I can do this. I can surprise myself. I can surprise the people around me. So I just love that.
1: Yeah. I thought that was so beautiful with Mr. Wyatt. I just loved everything about uh-huh. his. <laughs> his relationship with Mr. Wyatt from the moment that Mr. Wyatt's trying to give him the job and Dre really <laughs> shoves him into it, you know, and is just like, you will do this. Like you need a job and he's offering you a job here's the solution and Maverick is really pushing back on that. And then we see the way that he comes to change. And I think in that moment, it's exactly that, that the person that he was when he first started working at the store is very different than the person that he is toward the end. And I think that it's so beautiful to see him realizing that about himself. So yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, and the way, you know, for a long time, that job is just a cover for
2: his drug dealing. And so even we see the way his, interest in that job is manifesting his feelings about himself. Yeah. It's really, it's really complicated. It's really interesting. Angie Thomas is just so brilliant. Yeah. yeah.
0: Sarah, what about you? What's your pick? Well, I did want to say something you all mentioned his relationship with Dre. I also mm-hmm. really love that in the way that even though Dre was very connected and like kind of a, a leader of the gang, like how he wanted more from Maverick and yeah. wanted him to be able to, figure a way out. I really Mm -hmm. thought that was powerful too, because I think what Angie Thomas does so well is I think that she really shows there are a lot of misconceptions about gangs and likes that. And I think in this book, she shows the young black men in garden Heights don't have much of a choice or agency in the situation. It's kind of like you're born into it. His dad Mm -hmm. was part of it. Mav's dad was part of it. Adonis. And then Mav is expected to be part of it too. You know, I mean, I just I really liked all that because I think for me, as just an an ignorant person from uh from a small town, like you you have certain conceptions of misconceptions, I should say, of gangs. And I think she shows really does a good job of showing why people are in gangs and what that offers to them Mm -hmm. in a a really hard situation. So I I didn't know if that was ever going to fit in. So I just wanted to say that Mm -hmm. I thought that was really powerful.
2: Yeah. And yet she doesn't sugarcoat it. Yeah, I agree that that... She shows how difficult it is once he is in to get out. Mm -hmm. And we hear that story about the football player whose future is changed because he tries to get out of the gang. And yeah, so I mean, I think her presentation is so nuanced that she's exploring the reasons behind it. And it's not just a simple issue, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree.
0: So my quote is, it's also, it's along the same lines, because again, I love the I like you all were saying, I love the relationship with Mr. Wyatt. I loved how he taught Mav about the kind of, Horticulture, like you know, like the about and how Mav really took to it and and was really knew all this stuff about the roses and stuff. I just and I loved how that tied into the title of the book. I just loved all that. So my quote is: "It's kind of like how we have to do with ourselves. Get rid of the things that don't do us any good. It won't help the rose grow. You've got to let it go. And even Mm -hmm. though it's not like this very like flowery." No pun intended <laughs> <Lowry> <laughs> quote with a lot of, but I just feel like that is at the heart of this book is like Mav trying to find himself him trying to let go of the things that aren't going to make him the man he wants to be and the struggle and how hard that is to give up part of who you are and what you've known your whole life. and I just think that's really beautiful. so mm-hmm. that's why I chose that as my quote. Yeah mm-hmm. Ashley, what is your quote?
1: Yeah, so I picked something that his mom said, and I think what I really admire and what you were seeing, Sarah and Jen, is that we see that Dre and his mom and Mr. Wyatt and Lisa also, but especially the three of them – profoundly change what happens in his life. And so it is really powerful to see that those things matter and that mentorship matters and that it does make a difference. And I believe that. I mean, I think all of us in the teaching world, like we believe that we've seen that we've seen that with kids. And so I think in situations like Mav's situation, It is easy to give up and to feel that as a teenager, especially, and to feel that there's just nothing that can be done on an individual level to make a difference. And yet he has these anchors who help him. And so the quote I chose is his mom talking about Adonis. And she says, I'll always love Adonis and I'll always be there for him. I also have to love myself. All that ride or die stuff. It's nice until you feel like you're dying from not living. Adonis made choices that put his life at a standstill. He didn't have to sell drugs. He chose to. I shouldn't have to put my life on hold because of his decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is at the core of so much of what Mav is trying to decide and figure out for himself is what is a choice? What is already a done deal? And what do I have control over? And I think because he has these really remarkable adults, And again, he doesn't have a lot of them, but he has enough and those people make a profound difference in the pathway that we see for him. And so I love that for his mom just admitting all that so directly to him and just being so honest about what she can and cannot do and her being able to look back on all these years that Adonis has been in jail and she's had to find her way and what that has meant on her side of things. And I think that that is a perspective he really had not considered. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, he did not necessarily know what it's like for his mom to be the support outside of the prison for Adonis and like how that all felt for her. And so I just thought that was really powerful. And I think that we see how that helps him make the changes he makes at the end. The part I talked about with Red, the part where he really gets himself out of selling the drugs and is like, I am not going to do that anymore because exactly what she said, you know, he didn't have to sell drugs. He chose to. And exactly what Sarah was saying. Like, I think that Angie Thomas does such a great job of showing the nuances and complexities of why people make those choices. And it's so painful to watch Maverick when, when he tries to get out and then he finally is like, I just need to do a little bit because I can make so much more, and then not be scraping by for every single cent to not be able to provide for my family. And so I think that we really see that for him. But then we also see how he, over time, is able to see that there is a pathway that doesn't have to be that one. Mm -hmm. And it is because of the moments like this that I think we really see that. Yeah.
2: I love that moment too. I love his mom so much. I just think when she comes through with pieces of truth, they really land for me as a reader and for Maverick. I love how she,
0: she walks that line of being like making him take responsibility, but also being there to support him. And I think that's really powerful. I did want to say one thing. We didn't really get a chance to talk about this, but I there is also so much humor in this book, especially uh-huh. if you read the audio. I mean, just some of the the one part at Thanksgiving when When Maverick's mom reveals that Lisa is also pregnant, and that and he also has seven, and his grandmother is like, "Boy, you are fertile," or something like that. I mean, there are just parts like there are so many like really gut wrenching moments in this book, but there are some really hilarious just hilarious parts that comment on being a parent and then also Mm -hmm. trying to navigate family. And I just, and I think in the audio, especially the way that Dion Graham delivers the lines, I would be walking my dog and just chuckling along because, Uh because I both know what it's like to be a brand new parent and also a teenager as well. And it's like, she does a really good job of intersecting those things and making Mm -hmm. them come up with some really funny parts. So yeah,
1: Well, we are going to move on to our pairings. So we're just going to share books that we think if you loved Concrete Rose, you might enjoy as well. This time I'm going to start with Sarah. What's your pick? So I am going with Lake and Zaya
0: Kemp's Somewhere Between Bitter and Sweet. I've talked about this on the pod and we actually did this for a buddy read a while back. And I love this because I think one of the stories that is told in concrete Rose is the story of young love, because it is obvious that Lisa and Mav love each other very deeply, even though they're young, you can tell that they have a very deep love for one another and a friendship too. I really like how they comment on being friends and just like connecting in that way as well. And so in Somewhere between bitter and sweet, Pen and Xander also have a friendship, but they they kind of have a flirty friendship, and then but then they it develops into something where they really care about each other. And I also think, and Mav is up against a lot of really hard things that are out of his control, and in, in the same way that Xander is in somewhere between bitter and sweet. So I see a lot of. Uh, they're both teenagers. They're both have a lot of the cards stacked against them and are trying to break free from the, the things that are holding them back. And then lastly, there is this overarching presence of kind of powers that be that are trying to hold them down in Concrete rows. It's the, the life of being in a gang and somewhere between bitter and sweet, El Martillo is this guy that tries to, that loan basically loans money at a very high rate and people can't get out from under it. And then he, it's almost like an organized crime feel in my mm-hmm. opinion. So there are just a lot of similarities. And I think both of these books are very, would be very appealing to a young adult audience, but also that adults could enjoy them too. So I just, I think there's a lot of similarities and in theme and trying to rise above what, what mm-hmm. you've been given. And I, I
2: really like that.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. What about you, Jen? What's your pick?
2: So I am recommending Elizabeth Acevedo's With the Fire on High. And we actually did this as a book club read a while back. It may be in the vault now. But this one, so Acevedo normally, or I I would say most of her books are novels in verse. This one is not. This one is written in prose. And it focuses on a high school senior named Amani who is raising her daughter who is a few years old. It's been a little while since I read it. So some details are fuzzy, but she's a few years old. And Imani got pregnant when she was 14. So she was even younger than Maverick. But you see in the same way that Mav is dealing with the impact of a child on his life, that Imani, the, the, you know, it's just part of your existence because you're a parent. And it's hard when you're in high school to do that. And so I really think there are a lot of similarities in the way these two authors write about what it means to be a parent when you're in high school and what it means about your plans for the future. So Imani had dreamed of being a chef. She loves cooking and she had a lot of plans centered on that as her future. And yet because she's a parent and she lives with her abuela and is trying to help support her, She has to be realistic about money and about time and about who's going to watch her daughter. And both Imani and Mav are just trying to figure out what comes next while also dealing with what is happening right now. So I think there are a lot of differences between these two books, but I think that part of each of them makes a great pairing. And I think they really comment on each other. So that is Elizabeth Acevedo's With the Fire on High.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great fit. Yep. How about you, Ashley? What's your pick? So I had one written down here, (laughs) but I think I'm going to go with another one. I wanted to say Nick Stone's Dear Justice. And I do think that's a great choice. So that's one that would be perfect for appearing. But the one I wanted to share, I picked as we were discussing because of the conversation about red. And so I actually want to go with Jason Reynolds' Long Way Down. And the reason I wanted to share that is because I think that just like what I admired with Angie Thomas's ability to show the two pathways and how both pursuing justice when someone has been murdered and also deciding to take care of your family, to look away from that justice because of what you know that would mean potentially for you as, as far as potentially getting killed or being arrested for, you know, the rest of your life, like those kinds of things that you see the stakes. And so I wanted to talk about that one. So this is a novel in verse, and it is very accessible for younger readers. But this centers on Will. He's 15 years old, and his brother, Sean was murdered. And what Will understands, even though he's very young, is the rules of the street. And he knows that you're not supposed to snitch. There, there's not going to be any outside help and that revenge is necessary. And I think what's really powerful in this, and we see this with Red also, and we see it also when they, when the gang is thinking about who was the murderer and trying to figure out whether they can make sure they want to make sure that they've got the right person. But again, if nobody ever snitches, then like how do you know for sure if you weren't there and didn't see the person who, you know, if you didn't see the thing happen, then it's really complicated to know. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely this question of like, who was the murderer? How do we know for sure? And so there's some of that in both of the books, which I think is powerful, but it's also this idea of the weight of justice and the feeling for a young person of how heavy that is. And I think we really see that with Will because he has never held a gun before. He feels like... There's this thing he's supposed to do as a man, but again, he's only 15, and you just see him as such a child, and a child in a really, really hard situation. So this one goes in a very different direction in the sense that it all takes place in this elevator, and he meets these ghosts from the past, all of whom are connected to gun violence, But I think it's beautifully done. And I think in a similar way, one of the central questions is, how do we handle justice? How do we move forward in a society that's broken, where often the legal system is not going to address these atrocities that are happening? And in light of that, how does a community deal with that? And I think that it asks some hard questions, and there aren't easy answers. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's just really this idea of like, what is the right thing? And I think, like I said, what I really loved was that moment when Maverick feels in some way that he made the wrong choice. I mean, I think there's definitely a moment after he lets Red go, that he feels like, I couldn't do it. Like, not that I rose above, but instead that I couldn't pull the trigger and it takes Lisa helping him work his way through that to see that what that means about him as a person and that that is not a terrible thing, but instead shows that he understands who matters most and what he needs to do to try to take care of his family And so I just think that those are hard questions. Those are hard questions and they don't have easy answers. And like I said, I think that both books show the weight of them, the weight of those questions on a young person. And so, again, that's Jason Reynolds' Long Way Down.
2: I love that pick. That is so, yeah, there are so many places where those two books resonate with each other and I think highlight important decisions, important Situations in the, in those communities, yeah,
1: yeah, and I love also if you're looking for books with to do with students. I mean, this one reads very quickly. We've done it with students before. I mean, it moves so fast and is so accessible, but gets into the heart of some of these societal topics that are so timely and important to talk about. So it's a great pick that is just very, very accessible, just as far as length and speed of reading also. But yeah, Yeah. really, really well done. So we're going to end this part with our bookish hearts. (laughs) I don't think there will be any surprises here, but I'll (laughs) ask anyway. Um, Jen. Oh,
2: five, all the way five.
1: <laughs> what about you, Sarah? This one is an easy five.
0: How about you, Ashley?
1: Yeah, same. Five, five's all around. I and now you're all sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I just can't wait for her next one. I just think, yeah, she's just a phenomenal writer. We're going to end today with our Give Me One. And today's topic is perfect reading situation. Sarah, what's your perfect reading situation? This is also easy for me. So it is
0: coffee, the beach, sitting on a chair on a deck and watching the sun
2: and drinking my coffee and reading my book. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That sounds lovely. What about you, Jen? Yeah, that sounds wonderful. I will say the key for me is that I'm not navigating a big to-do list that I don't have, you know, that it's just I'm reading a book that I've just picked off my shelf that I just want to read in the moment. That is, that's the key. So yeah, I love to read at the beach, but I could also be at home in my recliner and that would be just (laughs) fine. (laughs) How about you, Ashley?
1: Yeah, actually, I love to spend time outside, but I often don't love reading outside. So I would probably go with... Nice comfy chair indoors. And most especially for me, my children are still very young. So just having the luxury of no one interrupting me. That Uh is something that I am years away from imagining, but I'm sure that day will come and it will be glorious. So, (laughs) well, thank you all so much for joining us today. We are so interested in hearing your thoughts about Concrete Rose and also about um, your perfect reading situation. So be sure to let us know on social media what you think. Thanks for listening.
2: Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.